As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Barber <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Gives off to Amos. He's yes. good. He's, He's good. good. He's good. He's Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again. Picked up. It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan beat Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata back with you guys as always, and we got a huge night on the podcast. We're going to preview the 2019 schedule that was released last Wednesday. We'll uh, also talk about the two guys that we landed in the 2019 class just a couple of days ago, and then we'll wrap it up, of course, with the 40-yard dash. But we got to start by welcoming in our co-host, as always, Josh Marlowe, who's back from a big first day at school. He did great. Um, how was it? How how was your first day, bud? I'm I'm glad you think I did great, although you weren't there to see my greatness in action. I had a really you know good good day. Kind of slow, like the first day of school always is. But the the hardest part was waking up at seven thirty. Not none of the actual work I did. So that that's a good sign of things to come, I guess. Well, I mean, it's all you know for the goal, and you know we we've got some things uh, rolling in action right now. Of course, we've got the Heel Tough Blog podcast that we're doing right now. We've got the Roy's Boys podcast that's off and rolling right now in the middle of basketball season. So. Everything seems to be going well there. So uh, yeah, no, it's. I'm glad that you know you're finally able to get into school and uh, you know continue things uh, back in the direction that you know we were hoping to go from high school. So you know that's awesome and uh, glad you could come on tonight and join us, man. Oh yeah, anytime. You know, I'm always always free to come on and talk a little Tar Heel football. Yeah, we got to jump right into it, uh, and we jump in with a new segment on the podcast. This is the opening drive. Opening drive. All right, guys. So the opening drive, and we start out this week by talking about the two guys that we landed in the 2019 class. Um, you know, in between the time that we did the last podcast and now as we sit here today, Ty Murray, the offensive guard, committed to the 2019 class following the visit that he took on the uh, on Saturday. Uh, the 
what, just two weeks ends ago? Yeah, two Saturdays ago. He ends up committing to Carolina on Sunday. So Carolina kind of went from having, you know, a little bit of a quiet um, overall, you know, official visit weekend. Um, really some guys out of the 2020 class I thought it made a better impression on than the 2019 class initially, but they end up getting the offensive guard, Ty Murray. Um, he comes out of the state of Georgia. Big flip from Louisville. His, one, one of the big reasons that he ends up coming to Carolina, of course, is the relationship with Lonnie Galloway. So, you know, went back, looked at him, a physical guy with powerful hands. Um, you know, a guy that is pretty athletic for an interior lineman, and that's what he's going to be. Uh, you know, at, throughout high school, you know, I think he started out in his first couple of years playing offensive tackle, kind of moved inside from there as he started to put on the weight. And, you know, at 6'4", uh, 300 pounds, actually. Um, I, he was 290, I think, entering his junior year and moved up to 300 his senior year. So this is a guy that comes in pretty much ready to play. He's got the size on him already. And, you know, he can play both center and guard. Most of the snaps that he took as a senior were at center. So, you know, this is a guy that can come in and immediately make an impact. And, you know, this is what I'll say to you and, you know, kind of let you maybe talk about this just a little bit. You know, interior offensive line play for this team the last few years hasn't quite been at the level that it was, you know, early on in the Larry Fedora era and dating back to the days of Butch Davis. So, you know, getting a guy that's this big already you know, has the type of upside that this young man has. I mean, that's got to be encouraging, especially with a new offensive line coach coming in and Stacey Searles as well. Yeah, I mean, if if you and I can identify the weak spots of an offensive line, then I'm pretty sure a Hall of Fame head coach and really an elite staff can, uh, can identify the issue as well. And it's good to see they didn't waste any time getting to work to, to go ahead and, and fix that, that need on the team. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And I mean, he's one of a few guys that's going to come in um, from that, uh, you know, as, as an offensive tackle. You saw that uh, earlier um, in the recruiting class, mostly in the early signing period. Carolina really hitting home with the offensive tackles. They get a Seam Richmond, uh, a Seam Richmond, a Seam Richards, that is, uh, from the state of Pennsylvania. They went and got Wyatt Tunall as well. Um, so you can see that, you know, the offensive line seems to be an area of focus. And Ty Murray, I think, really kind of showed that they, you know, they're keeping that focus there. That was one of the big things that they wanted to land. You know, Mac Brown said it. I want to land a guy that is, you know, similar to a Jeff Saturday type. And with the size that Murray has on him already, it definitely feels like he could be that type of guy. And then after that, Carolina goes on to Monday and they end up locking up Raymond Voshik. Uh, who comes in, you know, this is a guy that, you know, he, he can play either the 3-4 defensive end, he might be able to put on a little bit of size and play a 4-3 defensive tackle if they were to stick with the 4-3 scheme, but I think they're going to go to the 3-4 scheme, that seems to be what everybody around the program is saying right now, that's what Jay Bateman is going to want to go with, so this is a guy that, you know, as a 3-4 defensive end, you've got to be a little more physical than a 4-3 defensive end. You can't just live with getting off the ball and using your speed to beat guys around the outside. Although, there are some times where Vo, uh, where Voasic is able to do that. 
Um, and, you know, we, we've seen that a few times on tape. You see a really a good use of the finesse move. So not a guy that's really going to use the bull rush technique as much as maybe some of the other guys that are interior defensive linemen. But, you know, a guy that really knows how to mix it up, when, whether it's the swim move, um, you know, how he, he does a good job of extending his arms as well, and it allows him to use a variety of different ways to get into the backfield. And Carolina is a team that, you know, look, we took a step in the right direction last year. But, again, new defensive coordinator coming in under Jay Bateman, a guy that really, you know, if you look, under his regimes at Army, you know, he's had a couple that were able to get after the quarterback at, at an elite level. There's a few other times where they weren't really a great team at putting pressure on the quarterback. But overall, you know, they've done a pretty decent job at that. So I think uh, Voasic will be one of those guys that can potentially um, help Carolina and, and really should be able to help him immediately because this guy was a Juco. Now, he does have a little bit of an interesting story. He graduated from high school in 2016, took a year away from football in 2017, and then came back and played this last season in 2018, was listed as a freshman. So he is going to have three years of eligibility in Chapel Hill. Bring in a, an experienced defensive lineman, uh, you know, really at a position at defensive end, or maybe even if he does have to kick inside the defensive tackle, where Carolina really could use some depth. So landing him, I think, was key. And, you know, one of the things that I want Tar Heel fans to realize is remember the last time that the Tar Heels went to the Juco route for a defensive lineman, that defensive lineman ended up becoming a first-round pick in Sylvester Williams. So, you never really know what you're going to get out of these guys. Juco's are kind of one of those weird areas. I mean, there are some guys that come out of there that are really elite prospects. I don't know if Voasic is quite on the same level as Sylvester Williams was when he was coming out. I think Sylvester Williams was probably a more highly rated prospect, but I think he can definitely bring something to the table. I mean, you probably, I mean, I know that you saw this commitment, and, you know, I mean, you know, I know you don't know a ton about this, but really a guy that is a Juco and at a position on the defensive line where we can use some guys, uh, especially with experience, that definitely helps, right? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, you know, using the JUCOs when you, especially in our situation where you got a, you had a, a new coaching um, change and you had the early signing period. There's nothing wrong with going that route to fix a, a certain hole in your team. Um, I just, you know, it's a good thing we're not going to be like Kansas, like some of these big time programs. That's how they recruit is going to the JUCO level now. So hopefully, you know, gladly we're not going to be that, but you know. Sometimes you're going to find a diamond in the rough with these, and maybe this is one of those guys. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Voasic was one of the guys that really, I think, you know, the minute that Mac Brown hit campus, you know, this was a guy that was kind of highly thought after by the Larry Fedora staff. Really, Deke Adams, I think, really liked him a lot. Uh, because he clearly did, because he did offer him at Memphis late in the going. So, you know, I think this was one of the guys that Mac Brown jumped on late and said, you know, this guy's got a little something. Um, clearly, you know, there was a good connection with Voasic and Tim Cross almost immediately as well. And, you know, you knew that Voasic saw something in Carolina because, you know, there was a point during his commitment where it was believed that he was going to be an early signee. Um, when the coaching change came at Carolina, it came just about around the time that he was supposed to take his official visit to Chapel Hill. I think he was going to come the week after the state game. 
And, you know, everything, of course, changed on the dime there. You know, they ended up having to scramble. And I, I don't even remember which coach actually went out there and met with him from Carolina. I think it might have been Mike Eckler, who we kind of knew wasn't going to be on the staff. So it was just a really weird overall situation. He said, look, I'm not going to sign early. I want to come to Chapel Hill one last time for an official visit because I really do like the campus overall, and I think that you know I'm going to give this new coaching staff a chance. And it seems to have worked out pretty well for Carolina as they've landed this commitment. Now, of course, a commitment can always be flipped, but it seems at this point that he is pretty solid to Carolina. So um, that's big. That's big. Two guys now in the late part of the signing class. Of course, 19 guys signed early. Six are early enrollees, and then you have a preferred walk-on that joined them. So... Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, overall a good start to the late signing period because now the class up to 35th overall in the country, up from 39th following the early signing period closing out, and now up to 6th in the ACC. I mean, th this is an impressive turnaround. I mean, I think people were questioning whether or not Mac Brown would have the energy on the recruiting trail. This guy is out here 24-7. I mean, he's been running all over the place. There's been a lot of off days for, you know, some of the guys, you know, some of the people around the football stat, you know, in, in the football offices. But for Mac Brown, I mean, this is not a guy that is letting the rest of the staff do the recruiting. Mac Brown's been out on the recruiting trail and it's really paying dividends for him now, isn't it, man? Yeah, and it was something that, you know, he knew he was going to have to do because he can say all he wants at a podium what he wants to do for the program, but to to get the guys to come, he's going to have to tell some of them in person, and that's what he's doing. And overall, this this staff just the, the work ethic they've showed and the and the and everything to, to to turn this thing around in literally about three weeks is just impressive. I thought it was maybe the you know least most talked about story on National Signing because everyone was so infatuated with what Bama and Georgia and Clemson were doing, but what Carolina did in three weeks. To move the class up over, you know, roughly 60 positions is something you, is almost unheard of in, in recruiting. So just really proud of the guys and really the work ethic they've showed. And this this is going to lead to a bigger and better classes once we have a full recruiting cycle under our belt. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I mean, this class still isn't done. Of course, we'll break that down sometime next week. We'll get into some of the late signing period targets because believe it or not, we're closing in on National Signing Day. February 6th is the date. And Carolina's got some pretty big targets out there. We'll tell you a little bit about some of those guys coming up later on in the 40-yard dash with some of the news that is going to be coming out um, over the next couple of days. Uh, one of the other things that I wanted to say, um, and, and I saw this from my guy, uh, Jacob Turner, over at Toriel Illustrated. He had put this out, I think it was about a week ago now, maybe a little bit before that. You know, he asked fans, you know, what would you give this staff right now, uh, you know, grade-wise for their efforts on the recruiting trail? It's got to be an A, right? And I had to agree. I mean, is that where you're at at this point? They, they've they got to grade out pretty high at this point with how quickly they put together everything. And I mean, especially with, you know, all the changes that have been going on throughout this staff, including even hiring an offensive line coach, he ends up leaving and have to, having to hire the second offensive line coach of the offseason. Yeah, if you don't think what, what this staff did wasn't A-worthy, then you're just a hater because what they did, you know, nobody at the time they hired Matt Brown thought he was going to do what he did as quickly as he did. 
and he's proven everybody wrong, and it's just really just phenomenal work by those guys. All right, so with that, we move on, and now we get to the portion of the podcast that everybody is waiting for. It's the 2019 schedule breakdown here on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. As most of you guys know, and maybe you read on the Heel Tough Blog itself, the 2019 schedule was released last Wednesday, and Carolina, you know, they've got their road now back to the successful standards that we are going to hold ourselves to, especially under Mac Brown. So it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of great games along the way, and it's going to get started, of course, on August 31st. Here in the Charlotte area, right in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, it's going to be phenomenal. Um, you know, I think we're definitely going to be out there. Um, you know, a team in South Carolina that's going to come in off a seven and six season. Of course, we remember the last time that we played here in Bank of America Stadium, a seventeen to thirteen loss to South Carolina. And of course, everybody remembers the behind the chains from Larry Fedora that became so famous. But again was part of a season that many will never forget for Tar Heel football. And honestly, you know, it, to this day, that's still one of those games to look back on and say, man, if we could have had that, what could have been, you know, possibly this team getting into the playoff. But I think still to this day, I'm under the belief that this team probably wouldn't have been where they were had they not lost that game. That game seemed to motivate that team. They ripped off 11 straight from that point on. And the rest is history. But they will meet once again the first time since that matchup. And they'll do it in the same place. And a chance to see possibly two true freshman quarterbacks if everything works itself out. Now, for Ryan Holinsky, it will be a little bit different because he is going to have to work through a senior quarterback that is pretty established at South Carolina in Jake Bentley. Of course, Sam Howell will be battling with two redshirt freshmen in Cade Fortin and Jace Reuter. But when you look at this game, you know, South Carolina has a few guys that are going to be gone. Debo Samuel, the wide receiver, he'll leave, of course, after a relatively successful career that was kind of marred by some injuries. Outside linebacker Bryson Allen Williams and quarterback Rashad Fenton also are gone in the offseason. But they will return some significant players around Jake Bentley, including one of his top wide receiving targets in Brian Edwards, a guy who many thought could leave early for the NFL. He will return and should be one of those guys guys to keep an eye on in the SEC amongst wide receivers. Rico Dodal, the running back, will return as well. And also TJ Brunson, the inside linebacker. So some talent here for South Carolina. And, you know, a team that I think everybody kind of expected to be better than they were a year ago. What kind of test are you expecting for the Tar Heels in this opening game of the season in Charlotte? Oh, it'll be a huge test. It'll be a chance to see where Mac Brown and the coaching staff has this team coached up to. You're going against a team that's from the SEC, so they've got dudes on both sides of the ball, and they're going to be highly motivated because, like you said, in the eyes of the media and their fan base, and myself included, they underachieved um, for what they thought. That everyone thought that team could win nine regular season games and get and get back to winning 10 games like they were under Steve Spurrier towards the end of his tenure. So definitely will be a difficult game, um, especially with it being a road game. And it, it tends to be more of a home environment in Charlotte for South Carolina than it has been for us. Hopefully with the Mac Brown hire, that, that fixes that. But, you know, this will be a, a really – a really good start to seeing where this team is starting in August. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think the 
you know, in the past, we saw it back in 2015. It was an extremely pro-South Carolina crowd. But, again, I'm thinking that you're right. The energy is going to be back in Tar Heel Nation for football season. I think that everybody's going to kind of be ready for that game. And it's in Charlotte, which is kind of the epicenter of where Tar Heel fans are going to go. There are a lot of Tar Heel fans in the Charlotte area. And I think it could end up being more of a split crowd than many people would have anticipated if Larry Fedora would have stayed around in Chapel Hill. So I'm kind of interested to see what the crowd's like, how some of these guys are going to handle it. Again, Carolina is not a team that has a ton of players from in-state, but they are going to have a good amount of guys that are going to be back in their hometown. So it'll be interesting to see if some of those guys are able to step up and how well they're able to play in front of their friends and family. I mean, you know, you're kind of right. I think the expectations for South Carolina were pretty high last year. I think a lot of that was based on Jake Bentley taking a step forward. And I don't know about you, but... From my perspective, you know, Jake Bentley really hasn't taken that step forward since his freshman year. I still think he's kind of that same player from his freshman season, a guy that, you know, shows that he has some upside, makes some good throws, but ultimately just turns the ball over a little too much, takes some risks that you don't really have to take, and, you know, wasn't able to quite use his playmakers like one would like, um, especially Will Muschamp, their head coach. Yeah, I tend to, I'm more of a Jake Bentley defender. I got an argument the other day with a good friend of ours about his quarterback play. While he hasn't maybe seemed to progress, neither has the offensive line in front of him. And they're built to run first and pass second. And they struggled to run the ball this past year. That really hurt his um, his numbers. And so if they can get back to being able to dominate up front and run the ball like they want to, but you're going to see the Jake Bentley that we saw, I guess, more as a sophomore that everyone thinking going into his junior year, this team's going to maybe compete for second place in the SEC East and compete to win 10 games. So, uh, you know, when, when it's all bad, the quarterback gets the blame, but there were other factors that played into his core play. And I know the Gamecocks will be looking forward to, to trying to fix those issues. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, they didn't really run the ball all that great last year. Now, I mentioned Rico Dodal does return. He's been their uh, leading rusher each of the last two seasons. But Tyson Williams, who many Carolina fans will remember, he was with the Tar Heels um, before uh, the 2015 season. He was here um, as a true freshman, um, and that was when he ended up transferring out. Um You know, he was their third leading rusher a year ago. He ended up actually uh, entering the transfer portal earlier today. So he is going to be gone in South Carolina as well. So now, you know, they're kind of scrambling a little bit. They've only got one guy uh, that's going to return in Dodal. So, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can run the football. And you're right. When they've had a lot of their success in the past, especially under Steve Spurrier, they they were at their best when they were able to run the ball. I mean, everybody remembers the Marcus Lattimore days, and that's kind of where South Carolina, I think, wants to get back to um, eventually. But right now, I mean, this is a team that is, you know, coming off a 7-6 and six year, kind of middle of the pack in the SEC East. But, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a tough task for the Tar Heels anyways because let's be real honest, you know, we're all energized by Mac Brown coming in, but this team definitely still has some flaws that they're going to have to get worked out from last season, especially defensively. But, you know, this will be a good test for them out of the gate. 
Good storyline for Mac Brown as well because he's going up against Will Muschamp, who of course was pretty much the guy in waiting behind him at Texas before, you know, of course he left early for uh, for the Florida job, kind of ruined what was going to be, you know, the, 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 the smooth transition at Texas. And of course, we know how everything's worked out now. I don't think Texas fans are really going to complain because, you know, unbelievably, as we've said before, um, just in us talking, it seems like Texas is going to be in the national conversation this year under Tom Herman and might actually be expected to make the playoff this year. So I don't think they trade that, but what a storyline that's going to be for Mac Brown meeting up with Will Muschamp. And then from that game, he'll transition and face another former uh, staffer that was on his staff uh, when he actually finished up his last tenure at Texas, and that's Manny Diaz, who is now going to be the head coach at Miami. A hectic offseason for the Miami Hurricanes, but they end up kind of circling around and getting the guy that I think a lot of people were hoping would eventually become the head coach. Mark Richt, you know, I, I don't even really know if anybody can make sense of why he stepped away. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, this yeah. was a guy that went there a couple of years ago. Everybody felt like, okay, he's going to go to the ACC Coastal He's out of Georgia where the pressure was just ridiculous because they were winning 10, 11 games a year and fans still weren't happy. He's going to go to Miami. Look, I mean, the expectations are still high, but he'll have a little bit more time there. Um, that's not what happened at all. Quarterback situation has been a complete disaster the last two years. Malik Rogier, thankfully for Miami fans, is going to move on. So now they're kind of entering that next era, whether it's Nikozi Perry or if it's going to be the transfer Tate Martell. Of course, he is applying for a waiver. Um, this is the NCAA. Let's be really honest here. Tate Martell brings an excitement factor. So there's probably a chance that he could play in 2019. But if he doesn't, that's going to be pretty interesting. Nikozi Perry, you know, he played well against Carolina last year. Um, then again, I don't know if there was a player on that team that didn't play well against us last year in what was an absolute destruction, 47-10 in Miami. Now the game this year, of course, is in Chapel Hill. Um, it's an early season game, which may end up actually kind of helping Carolina because maybe Miami doesn't have it all together by that point. And, you know, this was one of the teams, Miami, outside of that game last year, really Carolina had had their number under Larry Fedora. Again, the, you know, the record might not show that they really dominated Miami, but for the most part, there were a few games in there. Of course, the year uh, 2015, they absolutely destroyed Miami. Of course, had the uh, upset win at Miami in 2016 with the uh, strip sack by Malik Carney that was recovered by uh, Jeremiah Clark. So, you know, Carolina's kind of been one of those teams that's been a thorn in the side for Miami, a team coming off a 7-6 and six year. As I mentioned, quarterback is still a bit of a question, but the defensive side of the ball for Miami, one of the best teams from a year ago in tackles for loss. They are going to have to replace a couple of guys up front. Joe Jackson goes to the NFL early. Gerald Willis uh, of course, he goes to the NFL, or he'll, he'll, he actually graduated, so um, he had no choice but to go to the NFL. Uh, but they still will return uh, safety Sheldrick Redwan, who comes back. That's a big get to keep him on campus. And then uh, they'll return that group of three linebackers that's been together since their freshman year and has just been fantastic in Michael Pinckney, uh, Shaquille Quarterman, 
and Zach McLeod. All those guys return, but they will lose some guys on the offensive side of the ball. Travis Homer, he is going to uh, go to the NFL early. Jeff Thomas released or dismissed from the program um, after some off-the-field issues. And, man, he was fantastic in his time there. And then, of course, Amon Richards, uh, you guys know from earlier in the season, stepped away from the team because of injury, and he will not return to the team. So, you know, when you look at this Miami team, clearly this is not the Miami. Everybody has always asked the same question, like with Texas, like with Notre Dame. Is this team back? I don't think that's going to be the expectation in year one for Manny Diaz. If they're smart, it shouldn't be the expectation for him in year one because he is a first-time head coach. But this Miami team, I mean, this second game of the year, you know, do you think that that maybe favors Carolina or do you think that that potentially could hurt them as they're trying to still get everything together? I think it's it's, it's a weird time to have that kind of game. I do think it favors Carolina. I think it depends what happens against South Carolina. If you win the game, then you then you turn around, you try to get that first conference game, and now you're 2-0, and you're looking okay as you um, have Clemson in a couple weeks. If you lose that game to South Carolina, Miami doesn't, doesn't become a quote-unquote must-win, but it, it even it, you know becomes more important with A being a conference game, B being at home, but see, if you lose that one, then you're 0-2. Then you got the defending champs coming to your building in two weeks after that. And things could be looking down. So I think it favors Carolina because Matt Brown has been a head coach before. Um, knows how to prepare where Manny Diaz is just learning the ropes of all the duties of being a head coach of a, of a major college football program. He wasn't even a head football coach of a non-major football program. So... He'll be learning on the fly, you know, all year long. And, and that might give Carolina an advantage just in the week of preparation going into the game. Um, and, of course, Mac Brown's going to know Manny Diaz's tendencies just as well as Diaz right. knows his Brown. So, you know, that game could very well be lost in the film study, and I think you'd give that edge to Carolina um, just off the track record of the head coaches. To be fair, Manny Diaz was the head coach at a – mid-major program, and uh, he was there for 17 days at Temple. Good times in Temple. But uh, he ends up, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, that a very weird time of the year for them to place that game. Um, I'm, I'm, I think it does help Carolina because, again, you said it. I mean, this is the first time that Manny Diaz is coaching, and there's a lot of people that really like this hire for Miami. And I think down the line, you know, Manny Diaz could be one of those guys because he's a great recruiter. He's a guy that knows the Miami area very well. And, you know, I, I think with time he can get there. But that's the key word is time. Second game of the year, he's going to be facing a Hall of Fame head coach and a guy that was, you know, it had, had him on his staff at one time. So... You know, I, I think it's, you know, very interesting start for Mac Brown, yet Will Muschamp and then Manny Diaz. But, um, you know, I, I think this probably favors Carolina a little bit. I think it also helps that the game is in Keenan Stadium. And, you know, I, I think that Miami still, they are going to be replacing a good amount in that secondary still. Um, you know, offensively, they've got a lot of weapons to replace. And again, Nikozi Perry is far from a sure thing at quarterback right now. So, 
I kind of agree with you, but it's going to be one of those interesting starts. You know, you get South Carolina, which won't be easy, and then Miami. Uh, that That's one of those kind of head-scratchers that, you know, you wonder why they scheduled it that way, but at the same time, who knows? If, if Carolina gets off to a 2-0 start, you're going to look back on that and say, look, this team's pretty battle-tested right out of the gate. This could definitely help them going forward. After that, it doesn't really get much easier because they then go on a five-day turnaround, have to head to Wake Forest on a Thursday night. And look, Wake Forest is one of those weird places to play during the week. They have all, I mean, this earlier this year, of course, they pulled the upset against State uh, in the middle of the week. That was a Thursday game in um, Winston-Salem. And now this year, you know, we end up having to go there uh, for the you know third week of the year. Um, pretty quick start out of the gate for Carolina. So if they are able to build some momentum in those first two games, they are going to turn around quickly and maybe keep building on that. Again, another team that made a bowl game. They were seven and six a year ago, uh, three and five in conference play. A team that you know is going to return some good young pieces. Quarterback Sam Hartman should return after having offseason surgery. Um, you know, he was having a great year up until his injury. They brought in uh, Jalen Newman, who really played well as well. Um, but, you know, I think, it, I, I'm not 100% sure, or Malik Newman, excuse me. Um, I believe they are going to go back to Hartman. I'd be very shocked if they didn't. Um, also around him, I mean, you got Sage Surratt, the brother of Chad Surratt. This guy, you know, broke out his first year at Wake Forest. He's going to be the go-to receiver now with Greg Dorch, uh, the speedy slot guy who was a first-team All-ACC guy. Um, you know, first team all purpose ACC guy. He ends up leaving early to go to the NFL. Uh, Kate Corney, the running back, also going to be a guy to keep an eye on. And they got a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball that played well a year ago, but they will lose some experience on that defensive side of the football. Wake Forest, you know, they're a very weird team right now because up until last year, everything seemed to be trending in the right direction for them. Now, the thing was, last year, at some of the key positions, they were very young. Dave Clawson, I think, still has done a phenomenal job with that team and really continues to have that program trending in the right direction. So, you know, again, got to go on the road. The good thing is, to this point, still Carolina has not left the state of North Carolina, so they will stay in state for at least the first three weeks. Um, and we'll talk about that more as that goes along. But, you know, when you look at this game on the road at Wake Forest, you know, this is a Thursday night game. Am I kind of, is, is it weird? Or are you kind of on the same page with me that going there on a Thursday night, you know, that, that team always seems to play well in those Thursday night games. Am, am I wrong? Yeah, they're just, it's, it's, it's like one of those places in, like in basketball in the ACC, like the Florida State, that, no matter who you are, unless you're right now Clemson, you're going to struggle when you play there, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's during the week and it's at night. Um, so I think this will be a really good test. It'll be the first uh, true road game of the season against an ACC right. opponent that won't count as an ACC game. So you got that going for you, huh. too. So if you drop that game, you're not dropping a game in conference play as well. Um but it also helps that, you know, your first road trip's only an hour and a half, two-hour, you know, bus ride at the most uh, down the road to, to play. Um, so you're, you're not you're not traveling cross-country like we were last year against Cal or going somewhere else like the Syracuse. And uh, it would be another another really good test for this team and really a measuring point because, like you said, Dave Clawson is 
doesn't get talked about for what he's doing at Wake Forest, where if we're being honest, it's not easy to win at Wake because um, they always kind of get forgotten about with the triangle. And But all he's done is, you know, he, he's, he's made a bowl game there and has, has more up the talent level, up the interest level in, in, in football and, you know, will just be a, a, a really good measuring point and, and see where this team is against ACC competition on the road. Yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, okay, ACC competition, but doesn't count as an ACC game. This is this weird at-a-conference scheduling where they made a loophole where this can be scheduled because they wanted to renew this rivalry. So they will meet again in 2021, this time in Chapel Hill. Um, but th- this year in 2019, they will meet at Wake Forest. Um, and yeah, no, I, I think, you know, when you look at what this team, they're again, they're still going to be pretty young. They lose now some guys on the defensive side of the ball. So that side of the ball will be younger while the offensive side of the ball will be more experienced. I think, you know, that that's still a team that I think is a year away from making a little bit of noise in the ACC, maybe being that, I don't want to say that NC State from this year, maybe, yeah, somewhere around there, maybe 5-3 and three in conference, somewhere around there, because challenging Clemson, as we all know at this point, is really just, I mean, that's pretty much a useless task. You're not getting on their level anytime soon. But, you know, I still feel like they're a year away from being at that spot where Dave Clawson can have them winning eight or nine games consistently. So, you know, we'll wait and see. But, yeah, it won't be an easy test. Um, and then, you know, luckily after that, they'll get a little bit of a layoff until they come home on the 21st, September 21st, and they welcome in Appalachian State, which is, is it's going to be one of those strange games because, yes, this is a non-Power 5 opponent, but at the same time, Appalachian State, look, they almost won on the road last year to Happy Valley and beat Penn State. Of course, Penn State pulled it out late, but look, that was a Penn State team that was still highly regarded, even without Saquon Barkley. They got a guy in Miles Sanders that went to the draft early, Trace McSorley, who many thought um, could have been one of the candidates to keep an eye on at Heisman early on in the season. Of course, that kind of faded, but look, Appalachian State is no pushover. This team is not going to come in here and just lay down, and they are returning a lot of guys from a year ago. Quarterback Zach Thomas is back. Their second leading rusher, uh, or actually, no, excuse me, their leading rusher, Jalen Moore, uh, who was their leading rusher for the early portion of the season, went down with an injury. Um, they ended up having uh, Darienton Evan come in, and uh, he was fantastic the rest of the season. He ended up rushing for over 1,000 yards. Um, they're going to bring back some talent on the defensive side of the ball, led by safety Desmond Franklin. So, you know, App State, look, this was probably a game that, when they first entered the FBS, you probably thought to yourself after that first year, okay, this won't be as bad as, you know, when they were in the FCS. But they've kind of gotten to that point now. Look, they are, in my opinion, the best team in the Sun Belt, uh, you know, hands down. And that conference is not easy. I mean, they've got a guy in Neil Brown that everybody is kind of waiting to get that 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 head coaching job. Um, at, you know, a, a bigger level. They've got, you know, some guys, uh, you know, at Georgia Southern, never easy with the triple option that they've ran there for years. 
Um, and, you know, that conference also still has, of course, Blake Anderson, the former Larry Fedora assistant who took over at Arkansas State. And for a while, that was the team to beat in the Sun Belt. So, you know, when you look at this App State game, you know, what what is the expectation from this game? This game or these type of games are always tricky because you're playing an in-state opponent with a lot of guys that are from the state that wanted to wear the Carolina blue, so there's going to be motivation there. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably make the argument that App State, as of right now, maybe has the most solid program in the state of North Carolina with the success they've had, jumping from the FCS to the FBS and posting uh, double-digit wins. It's now three straight years they've done so. Yep. Um, and, you know, you, they, they hired Eli uh, Drinkwitz to replace Scott Satterfield. So he's going to know a lot about Carolina, or at least the, the, the talent pool that's here, because he's been at NC State for the past couple of years. Yep. But the expectation is to win. You're at home. You're playing against a team from a non-Power 5. So you you should win. Um, but I, I do think it'll be a, a really a good test for a game that's, you know, against um, a non-Power 5 opponent, and it's a non-conference game. And the Heels have done a good job recently scheduling these type of games to, to help them be more competitive with their scheduling. And I think this is one of those games that it's it's not going to be easy and you got to play four quarters to find a way to win. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's going to be one of those games that I think a lot of people will kind of overlook on the schedule and really say, uh, you know, we're, we're going to count that as, as an automatic win. Um, you know, when we break the game down a little bit more, you know, I think Carolina overall probably has a little more talent. But, look, App State is a motivated team. This is a team that right now is just sailing on confidence. You mentioned it. Three straight years with double-digit wins. I think they've won the Sun Belt now three straight years. And, you know, this team is just five years removed from entering the FBS ranks. So it's not like it took them a long time to get here or even really any time. They immediately came in and started having success. So it's going to be a dangerous game. One of the other interesting aspects, of course, is that this will be, you know, Mac Brown going up against the school that gave him his first opportunity as a head coach. Of course, that was back in 1983. Appalachian State was still an FCS school, but he was there for a year. That's kind of what got his head coaching career started. So that'll also be a little bit of an interesting take. But look, yeah, I think Mac Brown knows that. He's going to say, look, this is a team that is very good in the state of North Carolina, but we need to win this game, and we need to show that we are the best program in this state right now. Um, And this goes a long way to starting to prove that because this is really, you know, Wake Forest, yeah, but I feel like, you know, App State is is maybe even a little more established in the state right now than Wake Forest is. And, you know, at the moment, I, I, I feel like that would be a start in the right direction. Of course, Duke and NC State will come up later in the year. So if you can win that game, that would kind of get you going in a positive direction within state recruiting. So, um, yeah, after that, you mentioned it, the national champions are coming to town. But again, still in Chapel Hill. So again, they do not leave the state of North Carolina until the week after the game against Clemson. So the first five weeks, they are in the state of North Carolina. A lot of time to kind of work on your game while you're at home. Get yourself comfortable. I mean, three games in Keenan Stadium, one 
uh, in Charlotte and then the other game in Winston-Salem. So this fan base should be able to travel well to all of those games as well. Um, you know, they can, I think that will get the momentum of the fan base back in the right direction after the last two years really have been a downturn. I mean, we've saw, we, we saw it when we went to the game against NC State. Um, I don't think that's how Keenan's going to be this year. I think it'll be a lot different. And these early home games with the energy being back, I think that's going to definitely help that. Um, you know, so they bring in the national champions. Of course, this team went fifteen and zero, eight and zero this past season. Uh, I mean, look, uh, you know, we no one expected what happened in that national championship game. Everybody thought Alabama was probably the team to beat for the entire season. Clemson was a team that was developing early in the year and then sort of hit their peak late in the season and became the juggernaut that they were in the playoff game the, the playoff semifinal game and then in the championship game um, you know this team overall kind of one of the sneaky teams when it comes to greatest college football teams of all time that 2018 Clemson squad. Now, they are going to lose a lot on the defensive side of the football. Of course, the defensive line, everybody's gone. That means Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Cleveland Farrell, all gone. Austin Bryan as well will join them. Uh, of course, in the secondary, they will lose some experienced guys. Mark Fields will be gone. Uh, Trayvon Mullen uh, decided to go to the NFL early, and they're also going to lose some guys um, in the middle of that defense as well. So they're they're going to have to replace a lot. But again, this is Clemson. They've sort of gotten to that Bama-type level where they recruit on just such a great level. And they've got so much talent that they will find a way to get these guys in there. And look, ultimately, you know, anybody that has any knowledge of college football will know going into this game, Carolina will be outmatched talent-wise. Um, of course, quarterback Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, I don't think that he's going to sit out the next two years like one of the guys suggested. I don't remember who that was at ESPN that brought that up. That is not going to happen ever. No player will ever do that. That is the dumbest thing ever. Not going to happen. He will definitely be out there barring injury uh, in that game against Carolina. Travis Etienne returns, the running back as well. Um, of course, their talented wide receiving core, T. Higgins, uh, Armani Rodgers, and uh, Justin Ross. Justin Ross will be in there as well. We saw him break out in the national title game. Now, of course, Hunter Renfro will be gone. That's their big third down target. It'll be interesting to see how they replace him. And then they've got some talent on the defensive side of the ball that's still there. Isaiah Simmons is a freak at linebacker. A.J. Terrell returns a cornerback. So this team... You know, look, I don't think that anybody going into this game should be going in with the mindset that we are definitely going to beat Clemson. But we've seen Clemson have some of these moments on the road, especially early in the season. You know, this was the first time that we've had a team go undefeated in the playoff era. So remember, of course, back in 2017, when they won the national championship, they lost on the road to a Pittsburgh team that Carolina beat, and let's be really honest, wasn't really all that great. So Clemson's had those moments where they are beatable, especially in some of those games where maybe they're overlooking their opponent. Now, we don't know what Carolina is going to be at this point. For all we know, they could be 4-0. For all we know, they could be 1-3. Who knows what their record could be? But Clemson, you know, Maybe if they overlook Carolina a little bit, Carolina can stick around. But overall, 
I mean, when you look at this game, I mean, the excitement of bringing in a national champion and having a chance to upset them should be something exciting for Carolina. But, you know, I mean, this is going to be our toughest test of the year now. Yeah, really going into this game, the expectation should be to compete for 60 minutes. Just give it everything you got. You know you're going to be undermanned uh, at every um, position. They, they are more talented than you are. Um, and your hope is that you're at home, you play a good enough game, and you put that team in a situation that at that point in the year they hadn't been in and hadn't been in a while, which was a close game in the fourth quarter because the way they ended their national championship run was just pure domination. And maybe they they screw up in a play here or there and you find a way to, to upset them. Um, but, yeah, that will be as tough a game that Carolina has played in the ACC probably since we've been watching them play um, in our lifetime. Because this program is at a different level. Dabo has built the, the perfect thing to rival what Alabama was and is. And it, it's just a completely different level with the, the kind of athlete he has. And it's not just one deep or two deep. It's, it's every position. They've got three or four deep mm-hmm. of the best players in college football and so it's just going to be one of those that you pray to God, you compete for 60 minutes and nobody gets hurt. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you talked about the depth. This is a team that, look, I mean, yeah, you might be in the game early on and, and feeling like you have a chance, but they can wear you down. And that's the thing that, you know, you just kind of hope from Carolina, yeah, you mentioned it, compete for 60 minutes and really just show that, hey, you know, we're, we're clearly we're not on the level of Clemson, but hey, you know, we're a team that's going to give you, uh, you know, something every time you're out there. It's not going to be easy for you. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, a pretty solid goal overall. And, you know, I agree that's probably the type of game that we're going to see. After that, we take our first road trip of the year. We head down to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech. Go figure, it's another ACC team that finished 7-6. and six. They went 5-3 and three in conference, but... I don't really, I mean, this game is going to be one of those ones where going in, you know, it's kind of good that this is a middle-of-the-season game because, honestly, you have no idea what this team's going to do. New coach in Jeff Collins, of course, Paul Johnson retires after all these years. Uh, Fantastic coach for all those years at Georgia Tech. I mean, they won five games last year going back and forth between two quarterbacks that couldn't complete a pass to pretty much save their lives. And they were still winning games. So, um, you know, this year, now they lose a lot on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball. Really, the defensive side of the ball, believe it or not, is hit a little bit harder. Uh, They'll lose the defensive end. uh, Henri St. Amour, who had a fantastic year a year ago, ended up uh, finishing with double-digit tackles for loss, uh, eight-and-a-half sacks as well. Then you got the linebacker, Bram Mitchell, gone. Safety, Malik Rivera. So they're going to have guys at each level that's going to be gone. And then, of course, they lose two guys in the backfield that are experienced now. Of course, they won't need probably as many guys in the backfield if they're going to try to shift to more of a spread look. What I think may end up happening is they might end up going to a shotgun read option. So sort of what maybe an Auburn did the years that they were very successful with Nick Marshall at quarterback, who of course was a converted cornerback, because you are still going to have, I think, a little bit of trouble bringing in unless there's a transfer quarterback that goes there, which right now none of the transfer quarterbacks out there have been linked to Georgia Tech. 
Um, you know, it seems like it's still going to be one of those guys that's more of a runner than a passer. Um, there is a chance that it could be a true freshman. Jordan Yates could be the guy there who uh, is the uh, nephew, actually, of former Tar Heel quarterback TJ Yates. So that could be an interesting storyline if he is the starter in that game. But he's probably going to be their best option if they want to go from being a team that is pretty much entirely run-based and throws only a handful of times to a team that is still heavily run-based but can throw it a little bit more. Um, But, you know, when you look at this game, look, going on the road to Georgia Tech, we know that it is never easy. Of course, back in 2015, we got down on the road by 21, came back and found a way to win that game and what was one of the more exciting games of that season. When you look at this game against Georgia Tech, you know, this game for me kind of seems like one of those crucial games for the Tar Heels at this point of the schedule because I really feel like this game is going to kind of show where this team is at, sort of a measuring stick game. Is that the type of feeling that you kind of get from this game as we sit here, you know, still, what, six months away or six months plus away from the season? Yeah, I mean, it'll definitely be an interesting game because you're playing against a, a team that's running a completely new offense from what you've seen in over a decade. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to be a winnable game and uh, it's, it's not going to be easy to go there and win. Um, Jeff Collins is going to have that program uh, you know, at an advanced level with what he wants and players are going to be ready to go and try to win a home conference game. And it's like you said. It's going to be important because it's a road game in the ACC. Your path, if you want to make the ACC championship game, is you try to defend your home field, but you got to steal a couple games on the road. Right. That feels like one of those games that you got to steal because normally we don't win there. But when we made the ACC championship game in 2015, we got a win in their in their uh, building that really propelled the season. And this could be the one game that does it for this team because you're going to have a an odd first couple games with, um, you know, a neutral site game and, and a, a road game and against an ACC opponent that won't count as an ACC game, and then you play the national title uh, team. So if you can find a way to win that game, get some life, and uh, maybe it jump starts an October and November run that leads this program back to Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, you look at this game, and, and the thing about Jeff Collins is, look, I think Jeff Collins is an amazing hire there. Um, Temple has produced some really great coaches outside of maybe Al Golden, even though I don't think he was that bad of a head coach. It was just that he was at Miami. So, you know, that program has really produced some great guys that move up to the next level, getting to these Power Five conferences and have been successful. But, you know, I feel like with a new coach, I think clearly Mac Brown is going to be the better of the two coaches. This is a game, like you said, you can steal this on the road. And it's maybe one of those games that you have to steal on the road to sort of get some momentum in your direction, depending on what's going on at that point of the season. Also could be one of those teams that you never really know where Georgia Tech's going to be. I feel like in the ACC Coastal, they are kind of the biggest wild card out of any team. You never know where they're going to be. They could finish 1-7 one year and the next year finish 6-2, 7-1 in the conference. You just never know with them. Um, I don't think that's really going to go away with Jeff Collins coming in and Paul Johnson leaving. 
Um, so you never really know where they're going to be at. That could be one of those things that Carolina, you know, they, they look at that game and say, look, this is a game that we got to really focus on taking because let's be real honest, you know, they get a week off and then they go on the road, but it's to Virginia Tech and that has been a house of horrors for Carolina. The last time they went there was a complete disaster. They lost 59-7 to um, in a game that was just, I mean, one of the worst overall games in Carolina history. Um, look, Virginia Tech is coming off a season that I don't think anyone expected. I think most people expected Justin Fuente and his group to take the next step this past season. Instead, they took a massive step back. They had a couple of guys that were released from the team before the season began because of off-the-field issues. Then they end up releasing defensive end Trayvon Hill in the middle of the season, who was their leading sack guy at the time, basically their best defensive lineman overall. And he ends up moving on. Now, you know, they go into this offseason and, you know, again, this was a defense that was very young. We knew that. We heard that the entire season. And it wasn't the Bud Foster defense that most people know of. Now they've got a lot of experience under their belt. You know, they do lose one guy of significance on the defensive side of the ball and Ricky Walker, the defensive tackle. But outside of that, they return just about every other significant piece of that defense. So expect this defense to once again be a strong defense. They returned quarterback Josh Jackson after the injury last season. Of course, Ryan Willis had to come in and take over. Again, a guy that was just a little bit different. You know, Josh Jackson was a guy that brought that running ability that I think, you know, brings a different dynamic. We've always had trouble slowing down some of the running quarterbacks or at least the quarterbacks that are able to extend plays with their legs. Ryan Willis really wasn't able to do that. Um, for the most part, and I think that was part of the reason their offense wasn't quite as effective. They return uh, their entire wide receiving core is coming back, and they've got some talent on the defensive side of the ball, as I mentioned, that will be coming back as well. So, you know, when you look at this Virginia Tech team, I mean, I, I really feel like going into the season, the ACC Coastal is really completely up in the air. But to me, if I had to lean a team, if you're basically strong-arming me into picking a team that I would have to roll with in the ACC Coastal and say that's the team that I would put my money on to win it. It would be Virginia Tech. We know the struggles that this team has on the road there and really just against them in general. Um, you know, this game, I mean, definitely a team that is still vulnerable, but, you know, this game, again, another tough one for Carolina, right? Yeah, this, this always seems to be a game that uh, this team finds a way to lose. You know, under Butch Davis, we were normally competitive, just couldn't beat him. And against Larry, we kind of slipped uh, competing with, with Virginia Tech. I do think Mac Brown will have the program more on a competitive field with this, this uh, team. But um, this, this is why games at, like, Virginia Tech or, not, or like, at, at Georgia Tech and some yeah. of, you know, like, uh, you know, you got to go to state and some of those other teams. you got to find a way to win because – we know how tough Blacksburg is for us. Um, and, and, you know, this is one of those games that kind of went, whenever I fill out the schedule, when I know we're going there, I always just talk it up as a loss because that's all I've ever known. Um, and I'm with you. I thought, you know, I thought this past year I was pretty big on Virginia Tech. I thought they could win 10 games and, and maybe compete nationally, and I was dead wrong. And I think they'll be motivated because there is talent there. 
but Foster did play a really young defense, and now they're going to be experienced. And we all know what an experienced Virginia Tech defense can do to offenses, even in today's football. So it will definitely be a challenge for Carolina. And, you know, the, the goal is kind of just go there and compete for 60 minutes. Maybe you have them in a tight game at home. You take the crowd of it, and you find a way to, to, to steal a win. Yeah, I mean, one of the good things, like I mentioned, two weeks to prepare for that game. And then, of course, that will end their little two-game road stretch. They head back home, and they'll welcome in the Duke Blue Devils. You know, this is one of those teams that a year ago, you know, Carolina lost to them. Daniel Jones had probably the game that every NFL scout will be watching when they want to look at good tape for him because he is going to the NFL. This team finished 8-5. and five. Three and five in conference, though. Kind of your typical Duke team. A team that starts extremely well at a conference, has people starting to feel confident in them, and then once they get in conference, sort of fall apart a little bit. Now, this team this year, um, I mean, this is not me being biased. I think a lot of people will look at it that way, but when you look at this team on paper, they just lose so much. Daniel Jones gone, and believe me, you know, Daniel Jones is an extremely talented player. Do I think that, you know, he probably deserves to go in the first round? I don't know about that. But I put it this way, as a guy that covers the Tar Heels and has been following the games that we've played against them, I'm glad that we do not have to see this young man on the side of the ball whenever, you know, I'm watching the Tar Heels play them this season because this guy tore this defense up. The Tar Heels always had trouble slowing him down, so... Luckily, he won't be there this coming season. Of course, Quentin Harris played a little bit last year, but is not nearly as experienced as they would like in their quarterback. Joe Giles Harris, the outside linebacker, he's going to go to the NFL early as well. They lose all three of their starting wide receivers. Tight ends, uh, both gone as well. David Helms, uh, David Helm, excuse me, and Davis uh, Coppenhaver. So, they're losing a lot. And then on the defensive side of the ball, there are a few guys that will leave early as well. Um, uh, or leave actually on time. Both of them are graduating. Uh, ben Humphreys is a guy uh, that is going to leave. They do return some talent. Of course, uh, Victor uh, Dimuche, I think is how you pronounce his last name, um, at defensive end will return. Mark Gilbert returns from the brutal injury that he had, and he was a guy that was an all-ACC caliber corner. Most team, most people thought first team. And then uh, Deion Jackson, the running back, who sort of broke out. You know, of course, that's kind of how Duke's running backs always are. There's usually one of them that seemed to break from the pack and really have a pretty solid season. That's always been a staple under Cutcliffe. So, You know, this Duke team is going to be really, really young. And I think this is a team that Carolina this year should be able to take advantage of. The game is at home. And right now, I would think that this has to be one of the games that Carolina is circling on the schedule with how easily Duke, you know, how how easily Duke has had it the last few times against Carolina. Um, You know, I think this definitely has to be one of those games that you circle and say it's time to get some revenge. And this is a game that we should win on the schedule. Yeah, this will be a game that the fan base, no matter what our record is going into that game, will be highly interested in because one of the, the things that cost Larry his job was you couldn't beat your rivals. Um, and that's something that, that Mac Brown had talked about when he took the job, that you you got to take the state back and start beating those teams. That way you can get the best players to come play for you. you know, you got people turning down Carolina to go play at Duke, which 
before David Cutcliffe probably never happened since Steve Spurrier. Um, so this is a game where you gotta you gotta take back the victory bell and start taking the state back um, and, and sending the notice that look, we're we're done losing to you. And this is this is the year to do it because, like you said, they've lost so much. Daniel Jones was like a gamer against Carolina. Just it brought out the best in his quarterback play, and you know, hopefully. This is the beginning of uh, getting back to dominating the rivalry, keeping the victory bell in Chapel Hill, because I'm tired of losing to them. Whether it's football or basketball, I'm not a fan of it. And uh, so hopefully hopefully it, uh, it, it begins to end this year. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and you mentioned it. That was the second game, in my opinion, on the schedule that is going to be huge for in-state recruiting. Um, you know, Duke, I, I don't think they're on the same level as state. But they have taken some recruits. They've started to make some headway. Of course, the biggest one from this year's class is the cornerback Tony Davis, the four-star out of Gastonia. So, you know, they've... Look, David Cutcliffe, anybody that is, you know, know, that knows their football and can take bias out of it. And, of course, we will because, you know, we are journalists. This is the job that we're doing. Look... David Cutcliffe is a phenomenal coach. He has done one of, in my opinion, one of the best jobs in the entire country to take a Duke team that was literally a team that if they won three games, their fan base was happy with, to a team that now the expectation is this team should make a bowl game every year um, and compete for an ACC Coastal title. And, you know, last year, you know, coming into this, uh, or this past season actually, um, you know, they, they felt that that was a team that could compete for an ACC Coastal title. Now, it didn't work out that way, but, you know, look, I don't think expectations are going to adjust themselves at Duke, and Mac Brown knows that. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think he knows this is going to be a big game, and, yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see, you know, if Carolina says, hey, we're tired of losing the victory bell. You know, we know that overall – even with them out, you know, out recruiting us with certain guys, for the most part, Carolina, I think, still has a better standing in the state of North Carolina um, than Duke does overall. Most of the guys from Duke, I mean, they do go out of state for a lot of their players. And if you look at the number of players from North Carolina, I bet you it's probably pretty even, might even, believe it or not, favor Carolina just a little bit. So, yeah, I, I, I think that this is a big game for in-state recruiting. And, look, it's two guys that have been in this game a long, long time that are matching up against each other. So it should be a fun one. After that, you'll turn around again. Another home game. Carolina's got a good stretch of home games this season. This time they'll welcome in Virginia, who went eight and five last season, four and four. And look, this is not the same Virginia team as the ones in the past. Mike London's team would have gone eight and five last year, would have turned around this year and maybe won two games. Mike London's not there anymore. He is gone, and now Bronco Mendenhall is, of course, the head coach there. And this team this year, man, I mean, look, we've seen six different coastal champions in six years. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that Virginia can make it 7-7. Seven and seven. Now, they got to replace some significant guys that end up leaving. Juan Thornhill, the safety, gone. Tim Harris, gone as well. And then, of course, Olamide uh, Zacchaeus, um, who is one of the record-setting wide receivers that they had there. Um, he's gone. they got some other guys that they have to replace as well. But they will bring, of course, back quarterback 
Uh, Bryce Perkins, he comes back, had a great game against Carolina last year. And one would expect him to take a step in the right direction again this year. A guy that, you know, really I think does a pretty good job of balancing the run and pass. Um, and, and seems like that type of guy that has just enough to be able to give Virginia an offense that at times they've really lacked under, you know, the, the, the Mike London and the early Bronco Mendenhall era. Then, of course, defensively, they return Bryce Hall, a guy that many thought was pretty much good as gone. Um, they thought he was probably a day-two pick in the NFL draft. He ends up coming back, so he'll be one of those guys that will probably be slated as an all-ACC first-team preseason guy. Jordan Mack, the inside linebacker, returns, as well as the safety Joey Blunt. So a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football coming back for Bronco Mendenhall and his crew. When you look at this game, look, in the past, you know, Virginia was one of those games you kind of circled on the schedule and said, look, this should definitely be a win. I think this Virginia team is a little bit different, but with the game being in Keenan, I think that Carolina, you know, has to feel going into this game that this is another game that's very winnable. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's a home game. You're playing an opponent that's, while good, they're limited in, in, in talent. They just they maximize where they have it, and they do a really good job of it. But, look, this is a home game. They've beat you. Was it two straight years they've, they've beaten us? So yep. Yep. you're trying to end that, that streak. You know, that also went under the radar with Larry that you couldn't – you were struggling to beat Virginia um, in the South's oldest rivalry. And uh, that's something that we got to fix. And this is just a game where you got to – you. They play similar to how their basketball program plays. They try to shorten the game, so you got to maximize every possession you have because they want to play maybe seven to eight possessions and, and really wear you down with their run game and their defense while we're going to try to you know score some points and, and, and attack you defensively. So very winnable game. And look, if this team wants to compete in the Coastal, this is one that you gotta you got to find a way to win. I like how that is now two straight opponents that you've slipped in a college basketball reference, and I think that's the third overall. So look at you always slipping it back to basketball. Uh, that's that's fantastic, man. But uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And you know, it's kind of one of those key games because then you're going to hit the home stretch. You'll have a 12-day layoff, another bye week, but then they turn around and play on a Thursday night on the road at Pittsburgh. And remember the last time that we played on the road at Pittsburgh on a Thursday night, of course, got the win um, back uh, last season, you know, in 2017. That was one of just three wins in that season for Carolina. But again, Pittsburgh is a team that Carolina has owned. They have not lost to them since Pittsburgh came into the ACC. Team that's coming off a 7-7 seven and seven season. They went 6-2 and two in conference. So, you know, this team was in the ACC championship game last year. But again, another team that is losing an immense amount of talent at the position that they really value the most. Both of their running backs from this past year are gone. Two guys that each ran for over 1,000 yards. Quadre Olison, he departs, as well as Darren Hall. Um, a guy in Quadre Olison that is at the Senior Bowl and a guy in Darren Hall that was at the Shrine Game. So two very, very talented guys. They're both gone. They lose a good amount of experience, especially in the front seven on defense. And then there are, they also are going to have to replace their talented offensive tackle, Alex uh, Bookser. So, 
Um, you know, when you look at this team, I mean, again, they're going to return quarterback Kenny Pickett. They bring back a, a young man in Tassir Mack who had a pretty solid year but didn't have the volume of catches that maybe one would like. And again, Maurice French was a guy who really put up some numbers through the air as a receiver as well. But, you know, when you look at this Pittsburgh team, I think at this point it's just kind of become an expectation that they're going to beat this team. If they, you know, they, they beat them under Larry, I still don't feel like we really know what this Pittsburgh team is. I know that Pat Narduzzi got them to the ACC championship game, but this team was 7-5 and five overall in the ACC championship game, got hammered by Clemson, which, let's be real honest, that's nothing to be ashamed of. But, you know, this is still a team that I feel like overall, you know, I might give the edge to Carolina. Again, it's on the road. We've owned them, though. So, you know, is, is that the same type of feeling that you have, that this is a game that, you know, you would be kind of shocked if Carolina dropped? Yeah, I mean, it just feels like we it, you have that team's number, and, you know, it was the one that Narduzzi, if Pat Narduzzi could ever outsmart Larry Fedora, how the hell is he supposed to outsmart Matt Brown? That's 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 my question. So this will be the one thing that Mac Brown's probably thinking. We got to keep doing what Larry was doing because whatever he was doing worked for sixty minutes against Pitt. And this is just a game that you know Carolina's going to be on the road, short week, but you you're going to give yourself a chance to win because as you mentioned, Pitt's losing a lot, but Prickett's also one of those like little quiet gamers. And this game has something on the line for um, for ACC Coastal. Uh, chances to, to represent in the ACC title game, then, you know, they might show up and play well. But other than that, Carolina's probably going to be the more experienced team, a little bit more deeper at certain spots, and will really give themselves a, a, a chance to win a big road game in the ACC. Yeah, you mentioned that Kenny Pickett was a guy that almost single-handedly destroyed Miami's successful 2017 season, and who knows? He can maybe say that he was the man that sent Miami back to being a you know the the same Miami the the first few you know seasons in the ACC a team that just really wasn't all that great so um, yeah no I, I think it'll be one of those games that will you know still be tough we've always had a little bit of trouble against them and on the road at Pittsburgh is never easy but ultimately I feel like that should be a win and you know. Then you parlay that into coming home, playing against Mercer, an FCS opponent. Look, comes out of the Southern Conference. That's the conference that we've really been dabbling in. Of course, the Citadel we played a few years ago, back-to-back years now against uh, Western Carolina. And now we'll bookend that with a game against Mercer, a team that was middle of the conference in the Southern Conference. Five and six, four and four, um, you know, through in the uh, in-conference um, you know, they got some guys that are talented. Um, the quarterback, uh, Kaitlin Riley, will return. Running back, uh, Tyre, uh, Tyre Diversen. And then uh, wide receiver, David Durden. Uh, and, and defensive back, Malik Fleming. But look, this is an FCS opponent. Uh, it's no, uh, no nothing to be you know offensive against Mercer, but this is a team that... Really, you would say Carolina should come in and handle relatively easily. That's why this game is on the schedule, is to give them, you know, just a little bit of momentum going into that game against State. So, I mean, honestly, you know, I I mean, there's not really a whole lot to talk about here, but another good game that should be a tune-up for the game against State. Yeah, 
that that's really what it's for. Maybe a week to get some guys that are a little banged up, give them the week off, get healthy for the rivalry game. Keep on maybe you know fine tuning some things in your offense and uh, and all on your defense, and maybe put in some new wrinkles to get you ready for your rivalry game against NC State. And and I, I really like that we've gone to doing this. I know for the majority of college football fans, that week before rivalry week sucks because unless you're a Big 12 uh, fan, or maybe maybe in the Pac-12 too because they play nine conference games in the Big 10, mm-hmm. then this is really a doubt because the SEC does the same thing. And so, you know, this past year it, it didn't give the best week of, of college football, but at the end of the day we want to see the rivalry teams be as healthy as they can be and play at a really high level and playing these FCS teams just allow them to do that. It also helps fund the FCS program, so you can't complain about that as well. So then we turn around, we head on the road to NC State, and this game, of course, is going to have a little bit of extra motivation for both sides, of course, as it ended last season. Of course, in overtime, or this past season, uh, as it ended in overtime uh, with the touchdown by Reggie Gillespie, and then afterwards, of course, the fireworks that ensued. Um, that's one of the storylines that you know we'll talk about throughout the offseason as we get closer to the game against South Carolina, because there will be two guys from that scrap that will be suspended um, for the first half of the game against South Carolina. Both Dominic Ross and Patrice Rene will be suspended, so... There are going to be maybe a little bit of extra fireworks. We'll see, you know, how these sides are able to sort of keep the uh, the, the emotions from getting out of hand once again. Um, Dave Doran, of course, with his comments that, you know, there's a grandfather over there recruiting. Mac, of course, said, look, I like being called the grandfather. That means that, you know, I'm a family man and that I care about my recruits. Uh, and, and clearly at this point, you know, there is no love lost between these guys. Um, Dave Doran just continues to be the same guy. I don't think anybody expects him to change. So, you know, Carolina is, is going to come out with a little bit of extra motivation. And look, you know, we've talked about this for a long time. Everybody always says that, look, NC State is not our rival. Duke is our only rival. Look, when it comes to football, this is the more fierce rivalry of the two. Again, there hasn't been a lot of success. But again, Larry was able to have more success, believe it or not, against NC State. He beat them three times. Then Butch did, who beat him none. But at the same time, this was a guy in Larry Fedora that wasn't able to beat them late on in his tenure. And you mentioned it. That was kind of the reason why he got fired was his lack of success against rivals. So this one will be a big game. By this point of the season, look, everything should be worked out. Like you were saying, At you know, injuries are going to be the biggest thing. So... It'll be interesting to see, you know, is there a little bit of extra motivation for this team? Maybe even a little bit of extra motivation for Mac Brown himself after those comments that were made about him in the offseason. And this NC State team, I don't think they're going to be as good as they've been the last two seasons. Now, that's because they won't have quarterback Ryan Finley, who is gone. He's graduated. Uh, both are wide receivers that were expected to be all ACC players this season and were. Kelvin Harmon and Jacoby Myers are gone as well. Um, star center Garrett Bradbury also departs. 
And they do lose some key guys on the defensive side of the ball, led by Jermaine Pratt, the inside linebacker. Now, they will return Isaiah Moore, who had a good year as a freshman. Safety, Jarius Moorhead, and also some talent on the defensive line, as always. But, you know, when you look at this NC State team, and really just this game, period, you know, there is going to be some extra motivation in this game for both sides. And this State team really just doesn't look the same as it has the last two, maybe even three seasons. Yeah, first off, Mac Brown's got a lot more respect than I would have because if I'd have been called a grandpa, I just would have referenced that our basketball coach is also known as a grandpa, and he's owned NC State's program for 16 years. And hopefully, Mac Brown's about to do the same thing with um, NC State and put little old Dave Dorn back in his place. I do think this uh, game is. It's always been winnable. The problem for the Heels was they couldn't make the play or two. Right. We saw it this past year in Keenan. We saw it two years ago in Keenan. We were there live. Um, when I'm there in Carter-Finley this year, hopefully they make the one or two plays and we finally beat their ass. I think it's likely Carolina could have um, the better team at that time of the year because, like you said, State's losing a lot, so they're going to be a young team trying to grow. And um, hopefully Carolina has settled into the – the newest systems on offense and defense and special teams and go over there and really end this thing. And, you know, this will be a big, big recruiting game for Mac Brown as he's trying to win back the state and get the best high school players to come to Chapel Hill. So this will be probably as talked about uh, Carolina NC State football game, maybe that we've seen in our lifetime outside of the geo punt return just because of the, the dramatics that that, that punt return caused. Yeah, and so that will wrap up the 2019 regular season. Now, of course, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. The ACC championship game would then be the week after that, um, which would probably be, I think, December 6th would be the date of that game. Um, you know, we, we don't know, of course, what's going to happen there. And, you know, we don't know if we'll end up getting there. Of course, we hope so. Wouldn't it be great if we can start the season in Bank of America Stadium and finish the season or the year at least in Bank of America Stadium before then turning around possibly and heading to a bowl game. Of course, everybody knows that Mac Brown went in first meeting that, you know, he met all of the guys, told them pretty much, look, enjoy this holiday with your family because this will not happen again for the time that you are here at Carolina. The plan is to make a bowl game. It's to bounce back and get this program, which was in a lot of people's minds for a very long time, and I think still maybe is sort of at that point, kind of has been pushed to the back burner, but may come to the forefront with Mac Brown back as one of those sleeping giants in college football. So you never really know what's going to happen. Carolina expects to be in a bowl game, and that's probably around where most of the predictions will be at. Of course, long, long way to go. Uh, you know, most of the preseason magazines won't start coming out until early May, you know, even sort of pushing it back into June. So that's, of course, when we'll start breaking down the schedule even more in depth, start getting, um, you know, sort of our, you know, game-by-game -game predictions. And, of course, that's when we'll start having some of the experts on exactly like we did last season. But, uh, you know, this was a nice little look into the 2019 season. So, um, you know, I think that's uh, where we're going to leave it off. Any other things you really want to tie up uh, with the schedule, or should we just jump into our close to the show here? No, I'm all good, buddy. All right, so we'll jump in and we'll head into the 40-yard dash. 
It's time for the 40-yard dash on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And so it will start by talking about Darnell Wright, the five-star offensive tackle from Huntington High School in Huntington, West Virginia. And as Inside Carolina reported earlier today, there is a chance that he will be taking his official visit to Carolina this weekend. Now, of course, back at the Under Armour All-American game, he told Rivals.com that Carolina and West Virginia were the only two schools that were guaranteed a visit. Every other school, uh, which includes schools like Alabama, like Georgia, they were going to kind of be pushed to the back burner a little bit, and they would end up potentially having to earn a visit. So Carolina is one of those schools there. Of course, he has a connection with former Huntington High School product Billy Ross, who is currently on the roster. But he is going to come to Chapel Hill one more time. He's been there uh, quite a few times throughout his high school career, but will come there for an official visit. They expect that to be this weekend, and that's one of the guys to keep an eye on, and that will probably break down next week. Uh, for the 2019 class, one of the late signing day guys that is going to commit on the 6th. He has definitely set that date. It will be the 6th. More than likely, he's going to be a guy that will probably be on ESPN because he is a 5-star. So keep an eye out for him. And uh, we'll let you know on the Heel Tough blog if we get any updates out of his visit and just what he's thinking as he closes in on his decision. Malik Carney and Cole Holcomb both had good weeks down in St. Petersburg at the Shrine game. Neither one really went off. Malik Carney really drew some early praise from some of the draft experts after the first day of practice there on Tuesday, but was relatively silent the rest of the week. Did have a sack in the game, also had a quarterback pressure that was shown on his timeline earlier uh, today. So a guy that, you know, maybe made a little bit of noise for himself, I think put himself on some draft radars, and now is projected as a guy that will probably be a day three draft pick. Cole Holcomb is a guy that is still expected to go on drafting, but they do like the fact that he did have some high tackle numbers at Carolina, they really do feel like he's a guy that, you know, does bring some good tackling to the table. You know, he did have some issues with some missed tackles. If he can get that ironed out, he could be a guy that, yeah, you know, he'll probably be an undrafted guy, but may end up being able to make a roster if he's able to work some of those kinks out, maybe take some better angles. Uh, you know, that that would be some of the things that you'd look to see him improve on. And one of the big things for him could be if he does get a combine invite. Um, if not, then he'll have to focus on trying to get himself going for his pro day. Austin Prohl is going to the Super Bowl, the second straight year that a Tar Heel will be going to the Super Bowl. Uh, Mac uh, Hollins went last year, of course. Um, he uh, was not able to play for Philadelphia for most of this season. Um, but Austin Prohl is a guy that is going to go to the Super Bowl. Interestingly enough, it is with the Los Angeles Rams. His dad played for the St. Louis Rams. And his dad went to the Super Bowl back in 2000 when he played against two Tom Brady. Now, Austin Prohl is a guy that has not seen the field the whole year. I believe he is an active roster member now because of the injury to Cooper Cup. So he will be able to be on the sideline. He will be a guy that will receive a ring if the Los Angeles Rams do end up winning the Super Bowl. So that would be special for him if he is able to get that Super Bowl ring. But pretty cool experience for him to be able to 
go to the Super Bowl, maybe not play in it, but at least go to the Super Bowl with the team that his dad was able to go to the Super Bowl with as well. Mitch Trubisky will join Eric Ebron in Orlando for the Pro Bowl. He ends up taking over the spot that was held by Jared Goff. Um, he will go down there, should play a pretty significant amount. Eric Ebron, of course, who is coming off the best season of his career. He had a huge year for the Indianapolis Colts and really sort of put his career back on the right track after he sort of faded out in Detroit, had some struggles there. Boy, did he have a great season and was a key target for Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts in their revival season. And then Jeff Saturday, his son will be going to Carolina. Jeffrey Saturday, the wide receiver out of the state of Georgia. Of course, Jeff Saturday was the head coach at Hebron Christian where Jeffrey played. He had a great season this past year where he had 55 catches for 1,035 yards and 11 touchdowns as a senior. He will be a preferred walk-on, joining Parks Cochran, the preferred walk-on from IMG Academy, the linebacker who is already on campus for this upcoming season. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Josh for co-hosting alongside me. And I encourage you guys to go check out a few things. We'll start with the page for the podcast. You can either listen to the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whether it's the app or the .com. And the same thing with TuneIn. You can do TuneIn.com or the TuneIn app. Of course, check out the blog. No longer on Medium, although I will probably still post a good amount of the articles on Medium if you want to see them there. Go ahead and go to the website now. That is going to be through Wix.com. It's going to be um, www.heels501251.com slash heels-tough-blog. And again, um, we are working on getting the domain where we can just have it as heeltoughblog.com. That should be coming within the next couple of weeks. And we'll let you guys know, of course, when everything is officially changed over for that. Of course, we encourage you to check out the sister podcast to the Heel Tough Blog podcast. That's the Roy's Boys podcast, which does cover Carolina basketball hosted by the man Josh Marlowe that you guys just heard here and me. I'm the co-host, believe it or not. You get to hear me talk even more. I know that is the greatest thing that you can possibly hear us to. You know, look, we're, we're just here trying to get the news out to you guys. This is something that we love, and we really hope that you guys do enjoy it. You can subscribe to that podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, as well as Spotify, the other areas we are trying to get the podcast worked in, but still having a little bit of trouble getting it on iHeartRadio. Don't really know what's going on there, why they're dragging their feet, but as soon as that gets up, that will be added to the rotation. So once again, want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Tar Heels! Go Tar Heels!